There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 385. I'm in the San Diego airport leaving Comic-Con International. Um, I didn't think last year could be topped. This year was insane and our podcast was incredible with matt smith at the balboa um and uh there's a lot of big news that came out of the cons i moderated a bunch of panels that i'm still trying to wrap my mind around some of the stuff that that happened during them so uh we will get all that info down in a hostful when we're all back in town uh, we're on our way to montreal right now for just for laughs uh, i'm going to be doing some stuff there on uh Tuesday the 23rd and then on the 24th we're doing a Nerdist podcast so if you go to hahaha.com you can get the information on that. I'm not exactly sure what time the show is but do a little research and find out and come see us in Montreal um, in July. Uh, It's going to be hot but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Skydart's never been to Montreal so if you have any good suggestions let us know. Vegetarian poutine? I know it's sacrilegious. Um, Anyway uh, I would like to thank LegalZoom for sponsoring this episode of the Merit's Podcast. A lot of people don't have a will, but you probably should have one, because someone else will get all your crap if you go away corporeally. So uh, that is where LegalZoom will come in. Uh, it's not expensive. It's not time-consuming. Most people finish the online process in 20 minutes, and it's not some fill-in-the-blank form. You're going to get state-specific and personalized uh, information based on whatever you have to put in there. And they have 12 years' experience helping people with important legal matters like this. So to get your special discounts, uh, you're going to want to enter Nerdist in the referral box at the checkout uh, for wills, power of attorneys, uh, self-help services. Uh, they're not a law firm. But they can provide um, self-help services at your specific direction or connect you with an attorney. So that's LegalZoom.com. Thanks for sponsoring this episode of Notice Podcast. And this one I thought was pretty appropriate just following Comic-Con. It's Joss Whedon, who I have uh, sycophantically uh, declared was my neighbor for a long time. Like that was any accomplishment of mine. Of mine. Our, our geographical proximity had anything to do with me. But, uh, but he's a... a, a a mad genius and uh, I've enjoyed watching him just sort of leapfrog through the industry over the years and you know I'm a huge Buffy fan and a Firefly fan and so uh, we all went to Joss's house uh, about a week and a half ago leading up to Comic-Con and uh, then saw him again at Comic-Con when he came out at the end of the Marvel panel for the uh, quick little Avengers 2 uh, teaser so here we go I think you will be very satisfied with the Nerdist Podcast number 385 with Joss Whedon. Now entering Nerdist.com.
<laughs> and then he sashed uh, I pick Matt and Jonah like that up sometimes. I just I just cradle these guys. Yeah. Puts them in the hospital every time. The Are you are you guys playing Animal Crossing? <laughs> no. I just heard apples and bananas. Do you play Animal Crossing? Oh, I do <laughs> Just you, Chris. Well, it's just the coolest game ever. Chris, Chris keep it cool. It's okay. Oh, you did. No. Oh, look. oh that's adorable. Chris, sometimes people are just talking about the fruit. Apple. Actual fruit, yeah. Uh, what happens in Animal Crossing is that you become the mayor of a small town that's run by these transgenic bipedal animal creatures. And you basically go around and you create the town. It's like SimCity, but but with animals. I actually oh. off for once. Yeah. Aren't they also going to call that video game errands? See, I built a pathway where I designed hand-by-hand, pixel-by-pixel companion cube from Portal. No way. And that's my pathway. Uh, yeah, so. You know, this guy's an adult. See? <laughs> You're an ambitious fella. Yeah, I am. I am. I'm making the town. Awesome. Outhouse is also a thing. I feel like we're your like deadbeat friends who just come hang out at your house. You're like, hey man. I feel like I'm my deadbeat friend. <laughs> I'm my own best deadbeat friend. <laughs> Is there a, well I probably don't know. I, I lent me some money and now it's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you catch yourself in the mirror, like, oh hey, hey. hey I got news for you. You're not you're not paying you back. I know, yeah. I know. It's not yeah. happening. I just gotta let go of that. Joss, welcome to your house. Thanks. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Joss is back in Joss's house. So, Joss, should we tell Joss? Um, I probably will, first of all, thank you for squeezing us in to your No, I'm sorry that it's been such a squeeze. I realize that uh, we've been trying to do this for like 40 years. I know. Even since before there was the internet, yeah, I, I think we actually came up with this we, idea. We we knew it was going to happen. You were building a sidewalk, though, so we didn't have time. We did not have time to do it. <laughs> this is my water of my Just water. Just get Yeah, I think that's your water. It is your water. Cool. And we have to do this line thing? If you could. Ooh. This is just the thing that... Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll grab it when you're yeah. done. Thank you. Okay, so how do I do this? I just talk into this thing? What is this what for? Is this? this is for college humor. Oh, okay. Oh. I'm doing ad line for them, which they need today. Sure. Um, which I'm just going to do some of. So you're okay to do that and then hand that to him and that's yeah. all the thing and I can just go? Do you want to do it right now or do you want to do it after? Um, I, think he ne- I think they need it. Okay. Is it easier to do it after? Yeah, we can just do it after. Can we do it after? Because I can't get it to him until after anyways. Okay, fuck it, we're doing it after. <laughs> <laughs> I hate doing stuff like that. Straighter's going to be pissed. Jake and Amir are going to be bummed. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, the word is sabotage. Use this sabotage. Say sabotage. Use this sabotage. Yeah, is there anything anybody needs? Are we good? Are no, we're, we're good. good. We, we have check waters. My levels. Yeah. We got your levels. Everyone's yeah. sounding all right, Katie? That's a tough yeah. one. What? Is that tough? Yeah, but you know, I'm a man. I'm a Western man. Extra ginger. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Just like John Wayne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's always taking extra yeah. ginger. <laughs> What's more ginger than that? In that wheatgrass. <laughs> we are parked at your breakfast table. This is very nice. Without the microphones, this is what it would be like if we had breakfast over here. No, I morning. actually have breakfast with microphones. Oh, you do? Yes. <laughs> that's a very odd thing to do. Do you uh, pretend they're your friends? Don't bring that up. Joss, I'm sorry, it's okay. buddy. No, it's okay. The microphones love you back. Okay. Um, we used to, I've mentioned this a million times, uh, 
probably uh, because I'm uh, an asshole, that we were neighbors for a while. Yes. Many, I, many years ago. I often bring up that you're an asshole. What? Wait a minute. <laughs> oh, How did you flip it that way? But actually, while driving to this house, just for nostalgia reasons, I drove through the old neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Many houses have been remodeled. There were a lot of charming old houses. They've all been turned into McMansions. I think that was about to happen when we left. Yeah, they were all about to be sold, and a lot of people were about to die. <laughs> <laughs> of extreme old age. Do you remember the house across the street from you was a crack den of some type? Yes. Still there, but it's fenced off. No one lives there anymore. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Do you still get your crack there? No, no. I get it through the internet because it just makes everything yeah, a lot easier. Sense. They, do, yeah, they Amazon deliver it. Fresh, yeah, yeah, they yeah, deliver yeah. it right to you. It's still hot. You know, when you get the crack. Bonds.com. Yeah, um, for it. Turns but, out cracked was the wrong site. <laughs> that's not where you're supposed to get cracked. I know. I, just, I learned a lot. But yeah. I, I didn't get yeah, it. was funny. Five, your five favorite things. About oh, there were a lot of five movies. favorites. And yeah. one of them was... Crackle 2. Crack. Crackle 2 was another one that was greatly disappointing. Seven for, ironic for things that aren't ironic. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Cracked. That's, Eight, that's just the internet. <laughs> Eight glam ironic metal songs that weren't like, about what you thought really they were. pioneered the let's throw our arbitrary number. Did you have any criminal activity? in your house when you live there because our house got broken into and we suspected the son of our neighbors because he lived in a Winnebago in their backyard. I think we had some sketchy neighbors too. Yes, we did. Actually, we got we got burgled once or twice. Mm. Yeah, but also during construction so it's hard. It's like really easy to get in. Yeah. Where do they take some nails? Um, no, actually our computers and my guitars. See, you're supposed to have walls up before you start putting those things in. Yeah, looking back, it was... No, we were just expanding like a breakfast nook thing, and uh, you know, they came in while we were back east. Well, you had two little houses, and then you combined them into a very lovely single house. Yeah, like a U around that tree. Yeah, but it was a nice... like it, it, was, it was a really pretty building, but everything that's around that now are like these weird... They look like buildings that shouldn't be near anything else, but yeah. there's this much room between the houses. Yeah, that's the big thing in, in L.A. is to build... To take all the land for the house and then have this little Hitler mustache of a lawn. Yeah. Like, <laughs> makes me crazy. You gotta have some yeah. gotta have some ground. And then we also lived two doors down from Monica Lewinsky's father. That's right. And so when the whole Clinton thing happened, mm-hmm. it there was a month where you could almost not get on our street because reporters were just camped out everywhere. Well, it's also not like it's also like a block further is was Nicole Brown. Was Simpsons Nicole Brown house. Simpson's house, yeah. So it was weird. People would stop me and ask for directions to it like, you know, ma- ma- star maps. Mm. Yeah. It was a hotbed of really yes. creepy things. Yeah. What eight fifteen Bundy Drive? In case you wonder. Yeah, it was right. It was yeah. yeah it was right yeah, on the corner. From the on the way over here. And the uh, but but just, not that that makes you creepy at all. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I, on a family yeah. trip, my dad is like, "We gotta drive by. We have to drive by." <laughs> To see what? It was the just center to, of the universe in 1995. It yeah. was literally the center of the universe. It, that well, I don't want to see where people died or were murdered. Yeah, no. that's weird. Fan. Like all those like. Uh, I mean, I returned to the scene of my own crimes. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> that's sentimental as value. You should. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's what everyone does. Take yeah. a moment to, but not other people's crimes. No, that seems no. weird. No, it's like me with sports. If I can't participate, <clears throat> I don't care about it. But if I'm involved, then it makes a lot more sense to me emotionally. Um, I I feel like I auditioned for you a lot back then, and I I don't ever remember what the auditions were about. I just remember us fucking around in a room for like fifteen minutes, and then I would leave. Well, maybe if you had tried, yeah, maybe you shouldn't <laughs> fuck around. Maybe you should learn the lines. Yeah, <laughs> take I try to deliver them seriously. correctly. All right, Dad and Dad. Well, Josh guys. can back us up on this. 
Yeah, I know. I wasn't that prepared. Fine. They probably went with the next guy that learned the line. Yeah, yeah. okay. Fine. One of them delivered like, Actually, read. you were very, you were very, you were very prepared. Was I? Uh, yes, which may not have been the best idea. Oh, oh shit. shit! See, there's a thing. Double fuck you. We guys. take it back. Wait, what's the? I've been told a couple by a couple of there said like uh, even if you know the lines, keep the script in your hand because they, the people auditioning don't want to think that you're just tied to anything. No, no. Uh, keep the script in your hand if you don't know the lines, because what we don't want to see is uh, improv. Let's face it, especially if we wrote it. Yeah, yeah but yeah. then you get a lot of people who are really great in a room and they're really funny and their energy is amazing. But then when they are they are locked to the words, it's sort of like it's not the same. Hmm. They lose a little something. Yeah, yeah. So some people. I'm are... not looking anywhere at this table when I say that. Well, <laughs> really, because I feel like we just made eye contact. <laughs> no, stop trying to not look at me. That makes it worse. Uh... <laughs> Someone stop looking around. You're doing Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's doing. He's just trying not to. No one's ever asked him. If he just he... doesn't want to stay. Yeah, he just doesn't want to look Definitely at people. Definitely afraid of eye contact. Yeah. He just doesn't yeah. like it. He just doesn't yeah. like it. Some people are not great auditioners. I feel like I'm one of those people. It's too much of a rigid, cold test situation. And it's it is. Just an it is. Odd, it's an odd thing to do. I also think you come in like so hot. Because it's so funny and it's like boom, 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 and then everybody's like on fire and doesn't matter what the performance is. We're all waiting for that, but right? And then you're like, I think the body's over here. It's like there's no way you're going to make that work the way you're going to make the conversation work. So some people come in and they're like do 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 do, and then anything they do is going to be above that. Oh, that's interesting. So it's, in a weird way, you have to sort of control the expectations of the energy in the room. Sometimes you can tell though. Can you just from like the second a person walks in the room, you go, yeah, that's probably just just there's an energy that they have that you feel like is right for whatever you're casting, right? Sometimes, and by sometimes I mean Amy Acker. <laughs> but, um, uh, rarely but you know you just the the thing is I hate auditioning um, and I don't mean I don't I've never you know I'm not going I'm an actor but I mean being in an audition because um, you have to like be at that same level you have to be as intense as they are if they're crying you have to be ready to cry because you can't really tell if it's fake otherwise oh interesting and so if you're just sort of like do 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 I'm eating I'm on the phone or just whatever let's get through this you're gonna miss it if it's there yeah. So you have to like, and then after ten of those, it's just like I got to lie down for a week. When Fillion kicked the door in, which I presume that he did, oh yeah, Firefly, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 uh, came in uh, on the back of Stallions because he's very dashing. Um, <laughs> did were you immediately like Malcolm, or did uh, it did, did did he have to win you over? Fucking Stallions out of here! That just feels <laughs> weird. This is a place of business. You wasted a lot They're of money in on the this, waiting room uh, everywhere. Um, you know, pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. I mean, it was definitely the first time we sat down, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, there's my guy. Yeah. And then was the rest of the cast pretty much the same way, or did it all fall in line around Nathan? Well, he, he did come first, um, but, you know, there, I don't remember anybody who didn't make an impression, like, the first time. I don't remember anybody where I was like, not sure how we're going to go with this. I mean, everybody pretty much landed. I think one of the reasons why our community loves you so much is because there's definitely a there's definitely sort of like a geek fubu thing that's happened like <laughs> you're one of the you're a guy who is a fan of the same things that we are all a fan of and you just happen to write that um i'm just you know i'm exactly like you guys if none of you knew what fubu meant <laughs> <laughs> i didn't either oh okay so really it was real cool. big in the 90s I'm an everyman. it's fubu. the clothing line oh, oh, oh. for us by us fubu. If, if it's all the, the clothing lines, were then i don't know about it <laughs> yep I see um Could but it i be the bum equipment of us no <laughs> maybe um I, I had loved the um i'd loved the original the original buffy movie was 
fucking one of those comedies that is sticks in all of our guts. And then I hadn't watched the Buffy series until right after it ended and had all seven seasons. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I lived across the street. You're lucky that I hadn't watched it when I lived across the street from you because this would have been every day. Hey, what's going on? Hey, Spike, really? Buffy, really? What's going on with Juliet? Like, it would have been that all the time. So you're, you're lucky that you dodged that bullet. Um, but I, <laughs> a month, I got through every episode, all seven seasons in a month. Jesus. And well, we actually wrote them in a month. <laughs> really? We did not care. It's not a thing I tell a lot of people. Just, whatever. Make them fuck. We'll be fine. Change your life. Make huh? it a metaphor. Yeah. It's all good. That's a lot of. That's a lot of media to consume in a month. Well, I wasn't really working at the time, so it actually seems like Still or a sidewalk building. Yeah, <laughs> exciting things that you do. Make you such a renaissance. I think. Yeah. I still think that, uh, as far as Buffy goes, the body is my favorite hour of television, ever. I think that's the best thing I did. It really, oh god, it's so, so far. What what was it that sort of made you, with the direction that the show had been taking, go? Okay, you know what? We really kind of have this serious episode to deal with with the death of Buffy's mom. Well, actually, I had planned it a few years in advance. At least, yeah, about two years, over two years in advance. I was trying to map out season four and sort of with Doug Petrie, and we kind of just fell into season five. And I went, oh, I'm going to do this. And so I told Christine, who played her mom, way way early. And uh, I just knew that, like, uh, that was something I was going to want to get to eventually was, you know, the the kind of death that uh, dragons can't solve. Yeah. Did I think you f- tonally, you really, took, like, hit it, like, what it's like when... That was the only thing I was trying to do. I was like, I don't want to tell a cathartic story. I don't want to learn a lesson. I don't want to, you know, I just want to capture that airlessness, that mm. almost boring sort of immediacy of grief. Well, it's also <clears throat> on a show which is basically lined with death that is very sort of you know it's just very it's almost casual in a sense of like you know people dying disappearing people becoming you know demonic vampires and just to have one death it's like it's really grounded mm-hmm. in reality and and make her deal with death in a way that she hadn't before i mean you sort of yeah you'd think oh she has but no it's a completely different animal and and so it's as new for her as it was for me or anybody yeah um, with the original film, where, I mean, had you done anything before that, or was that the first thing that, I know you were writing, but... Was that was actually the first screenplay I ever wrote. I wrote it, I started it before I got my first job, which was Roseanne. And mm-hmm. then I'm, when, uh, you know, in the second half of the first season, second season of Roseanne, I was um, just... Uh, tired of getting yelled at by Roseanne? Actually, no. Uh, Roseanne, I only ever met once. We had lunch, and she had read a script of mine and loved it, and she was very intelligent and gracious. Oh, nice. And that was yeah. the only time during the course of working there that you met her? Yeah, I was, I mean, I was a staff writer. I was the new guy, and for a long time, she didn't even read my scripts. Um, and then, um, until they were rewritten within an inch of their lives. And then, uh, and then actually, Tom Arnold slipped her one, because he was like, I think this stuff is good, and she should read it. Oh, wow. I know. And uh, and then, um, but then the producers were kind of like, oh, well, you know, you were fun, but now we're done. We're going to shut the door and leave you with nothing to do. And I'm, so I wrote Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then I quit because oh, wow. I don't like being paid for nothing. Yeah. And how did you get? How did you get the film made? Where'd you? Well, nobody wanted to make it um, except for Fran Kazooie, and and she uh, so she sort of uh, got the ball rolling with her husband Kaz, and uh, eventually Fox went. Well, yeah, maybe we'll pick some of this up. Uh, 
You can have the television rights because, yeah, that doesn't matter. (laughs) Boy, that doesn't happen anymore. I feel like that executive is sitting next to the Eminem guy who turned down ET at a bar. You know what, though? The truth of the matter is. Truth of the matter is, or all those people that like didn't know that J.K. Rowling wrote right. that the, that she had the pseudonym and she wrote a book, and then they all were like, "You passed on that? I didn't know it said it was a guy." Yeah. <laughs> or Fox is like, "Yeah, George, you can have all the toys for Star Wars." Yeah. Well, he took the he took the toys because they were going to shut down production, and like all the executives had seen the footage and with none of the effects in, and they were like, "This is not going to go well." And so the story I heard was that he said, all right, look, uh, I won't take any money. Just give me the merchandising rights. I'm like, who fucking cares about that? So they did. And then, so it's every time that happens, it will never happen again. Right. Because (laughs) I'm usually at a place right after the it will never happen again. So they're like, oh, yeah, you can't have this and you can't have this because we gave it away once and we lost a lot of money. Except for S.H.I.E.L.D. Marvel was like, go ahead, take it. (laughs) Just go make a TV show. But the the, the truth of the matter is that if they had not done that... Then the series probably never would have gotten made. It would have just been locked in a, you know, in some sort of yes. legal vault somewhere. Yes, uh, it's entirely true. I mean, it was very serendipitous that uh, it happened at all, um, and I'm well aware of that. It wasn't my idea. It was Gail Berman's idea um, to make it into a series. And uh, um, so I, you know, once I once I thought about it for five seconds, I was like, ooh, maybe I can do this right. But um, uh, did you feel like you didn't do it right? Well, I don't like the movie. At all? Not much. The screenplay I wrote was very different. It was, you know, a lot darker. It was a horror movie. Right. With jokes in it. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it was not much more ambitious in terms of, you know, it was basically, you know, turning some tropes on their head. But uh, I had hoped to make an actual horror movie about people you care about and add a lot of jokes. And it sort of turned into just sort of a joke fest. It wasn't... uh, So, is it... As a writer, when that happens, is that a thing that just sticks in your craw for the rest of your life? Where you're like, eh, you know, fine. It was what it was. No, you never get over any of it. Really? Um, the trick is you just sort of take that and you put it in you know, a little briefcase of pain. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston was telling me about how Anthony Hopkins was like, all the great actors, Robert Mitchum, James Mason, wonderful men, have a little briefcase of pain. And carry around with them. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, um, we all do. But, you know, you don't, uh, it's, you know, I don't crack it all the time. Right. Um, I don't go, oh, I went and I wake up. I'm sad about this, that, and the other, but if I ever stop to think about it, I'm disappointed by everything that went wrong. Is that why you move so fast a million miles an hour so you never have to stop to open the briefcase of pain? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I don't, you know, people are like, do you want to vi- revisit that thing? I'm like, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much. Then, you know, this is from a guy who's made a movie out of a TV show and comics out of a TV show and, movie that, and you know, I keep, keep redoing the things that I've done um, but uh, and making sequels to them. But uh, it, for me, it all feels like forward momentum. It's why I couldn't start the Buffy series with the same story from the movie because I told that already. Yeah. Even though I hadn't told it the way I wanted, it was like, well, I can't tell it again. Yeah. And so do you feel like with the series that you got to do that? It was the series I got to, you know, the funny thing was, with the series, I got to do something much, much more ambitious and interesting than I had ever thought of when I thought of the movie. Um, But then I realized after seven seasons of Buffy and five seasons of Angel that I had actually gotten to tell the Buffy origin story. I had just told it about Cordelia. Oh. Well, when you, I'd heard a story that when you were working on, when all the, because you basically had three shows going Mm -hmm. at the same time. 
And I'd heard these stories of like, <laughs> you're basically writing in your car for Firefly while on the phone giving notes for Angel and then, you know, stopping to do something else for Buffy, like at the, all at the same time. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, with a child on the way. Um, oh, geez. That was a, a time of great focus. Um, and I've never had one since. <laughs> Sadly. Now, I would say Avengers was, was, was pretty close. But yeah, that was that was the crazy busiest thing ever. And, you know... Firefly obviously meant everything to me. Buffy was in its last season, which was huge. And then Angel was in its fourth season. But I was like, Angel is the one everyone's going to expect me to drop the ball on. So right. I have to like bring it hard for Angel because I don't want to like, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I don't put something on TV that I don't like. Yeah. That would be lame. And you have to, and I'm, you, you seem like the kind of guy that if you put your name on something, you have to be involved in it because... I keep thinking that I'm a producer. I'm like, oh, let's try this. We'll throw it up against the wall. See what sticks. And then I'm like, I'm not. I'm not. I'm only a writer. I'm, I have to like, you know, I have to make sure that I that I believe in it. Or I'm just like, why would I waste somebody's time with that? Yeah. And you do you think that in a room, so like with Shield, like do you feel like you need to be more involved? Do you want to be more involved? Or you you're trying to find the time to balance all this stuff? It's all about balance, and it's hard. Um, I have you know great people that I've worked with before and that I trust but you still have to get involved it's just there's no way you can just sort of completely walk away and think well this is going to come out exactly as well as it could because you know ultimately the thing is in your head yeah and um and I have strongly feel that you need a reason to tell any story you need a different reason every week to tell a story you can't just be spinning out a yarn that's not what we do anymore and on Buffy, that was always the mandate. On Angel, occasionally we'd be like, can we just make it involving and sort of play the soap opera a little bit? Um, with Buffy, it was very easy. It was like, what does it feel like right now in her life, period? Or Xander's life or whomever. That was always the sort of the mandate. But it meant that very specifically, every single episode was meant to be a completely different animal than the one before it. And that's the thing I'm trying to hold on to. It's like, okay, we have a lot of cool ideas, but you know what? Do they mean? And uh, you can get a little pedantic about it, but um, it's—I just think it's more interesting than I was engaged for an hour, and I bet next week I will be again. Right, right. The sort of self-contained, everything's yeah. fine. I mean, just it, it was—you know—it was fun. Like some episodes just had one little story, and then there were a couple multiple episode arcs, and then of course there was an over the season arc. And it always, at the end of every season, I always, as I watch it all together, I almost felt a little empathy for you like oh at the end of the season it was the worst thing they'd ever seen how are they going to top that this next season like what's going to be the next worst thing that they've ever seen yeah that's basically the question i have to ask every time i write anything <laughs> i need to like start a new universe so i can have the first worst thing i've ever seen <laughs> and not be topping anything it'll be jaywalking in that universe that's the worst thing i've ever seen yeah. you think it'd be so funny like you know if you, you could have just made movies in the 30s or it was just like yeah, I just took some footage of a horse walking onto a train. Everyone's like, that's what? amazing. <laughs> like, there was no... Those are two modes of transportation. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like the horse is just going to come right off the screen. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just... Now it almost seems like, you know, how do you keep surprising audience? How do you keep, you know, redoing the whatever the formula of, of elements is to make people go, ah, new thing? Uh, you don't. You go old thing. You go, do they care? That's it. It's the only thing that ever matters. Do they care? Is it interesting? Are the jokes funny? Are the characters relatable? Are the scary parts scary? You know, I mean, it's just the more you do, the more you realize there's only one thing you can do. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, you see, you know, now that we can do anything with, with CGI, it's still the same, you know, we still have the same mandate, which is, you know, make them care. It's all character-based. You want to watch another? Go ahead. One more. <laughs> What's what being watched? watched? What? What's being watched? Futurama. <gasps> oh, nice. Smart kids. Good parenting. Yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. That, that show's done. <laughs> Such a good show. Well, well really for them, it just began, so. Oh, my God. Oh, God. What are you going to do when they watch the dog episode? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I look at my dog, I just think about that episode and I can't handle it. Okay. Spoiler alert. Jeez, Christ. I didn't say what happened. I know. That's true. I'm sure what happened is that the dog has a birthday cake and everybody's happy. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. clearly what makes you look at your dog. Well, in the dog is afterlife. <laughs> if there were one, because there's not. But if there were, then it would probably well, there are. be something along those lines. Heaven. We know that. Yeah. It's twice. Right. <laughs> when I first moved into the neighborhood, um, uh, one of the neighbors was like, oh, yeah, the guy across the street wrote Toy Story. I'm like, Jesus Christ, really? So what was that? I mean, like, to be at the dawn of that time? <laughs> it wasn't the dawn of time. Dinosaurs were old people. Uh, we're not old people. about the early 90s. Is that how you say it? That's we discovered <laughs> fire. <laughs> we thought this cave would be warmer than the other caves. <laughs> how will you Very transport this time. fire from cave to cave? <laughs> um... We never did crack that one. No. Um, uh, you know, Buffett, that was, it was, uh, the Toy Story was just fun. I mean, you know, it was, it was just a good gig. It was, uh, you know, it was John Lasseter's idea. They had, you know, a, a nothing script and a good idea with a nothing script is always a, a nice place to start. And I went up, I used to go up there for months on end and just, you know, sort of hang out with the guys um, Pete Doctor and Andrew Stanton and Joe Ramph, the late Joe Ramph, who was amazing, and um, and John and a couple other guys, and just uh, they'd just draw and draw and draw, and I'd write, and we'd sort of all hash it out, and they, you know it was in a in, in like an abandoned you know warehouse kind of feel, it looked you know like a dot com startup that had failed, <laughs> all this you know paneling and and veal fattening pens, and and uh, I'm sure it looks different now. I haven't it's been a little bit different, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, there was just, you know, it was a lot of clarity. And again, Lasseter's thing was, you know, because right then people were very excited about, oh, with CGI, we can fly into somebody's eyeball. We can make the lawnmower man. But do we have to? <laughs> yeah, but he gets smarter right, um, because he gets hooked to up to virtual yes. reality. Oh, do you have to always no. make the lawnmower man. <laughs> you know that virtual reality that we all have now where we can mm-hmm. just go into computers and absorb all the knowledge? Yeah, so he also got, Toby also got strong. He, the whole, he got everything. He, he got everything wanted. he wanted. He got Jenny right. Yeah. You get to get Jenny right. Who among us can say that? <laughs> um, but uh, well, we could get her now. <laughs> um, uh, but Lasseter's thing was always just like, no, pretend that we're just making another animated movie. Tell the story, no tricks. And if, if you look at it, it's very simple. There aren't any tricks. There's no like, we can do this with a camera, so we should. Right. Yeah. Just keep it as simple as possible. And no liquids. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't do liquid yet. Was that a, was they that couldn't a, do liquid yet. Oh, so he, he dunks his head in a bowl and comes up with like Fruit Loops on his eyes or something. But if you noticed, you don't ever see the, bowl, the inside <laughs> of the bowl. <laughs> was the basic philosophy like? Because I think what emerged from that era was the oh yeah, if you hire a group of people who actually care about the thing they're doing, they make a really good thing, and you kind of give them the freedom to do that. 
Yeah, I think they'd all they'd all been in the Disney machine, and um, you know it had its ways, and you know uh, it made them a little crazy. And the fact that they could sort of go back to square one and say we're going to take forget about all your assumptions about you know what you think the Black Cauldron and Rescuers Down Under is supposed to be, <laughs> and let's just start again. And there's a great documentary about that too. Yeah, which yeah, I never so I can see. I haven't seen it yet. Was yeah. there a sort of a mandate going around that you're like, there were like no songs, we're not singing? Yeah, no, no. This, uh, I, I actually went to Disney in order to write musicals. I went to Disney because I'm the guy who saw Little Mermaid seven times in a theater and Beauty and the Beast seven times in a theater and Aladdin only three times because Howard Ashman died halfway through and Tim Rice is not worth seeing seven times in a theater. But okay. I love musicals. And they really were the resurgence. And um, so that's why I went to work there. And I was working on... What was supposed to be a musical version of Journey to the Center of the Earth eventually became Atlantis, The Lost Empire, right. um, which I watched like eight years later and saw my name on it at the end, which was very surreal. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they pulled me off it uh, to do, and I was even doing a songwriting program, but first they pulled me off it to do Toy Story. And then, um, and then they started this songwriting program where you could, be, where you could you know, sort of pitch the songs. You could work with a composer and, and, and try to do the songs for uh, what... Um, at that point, I was doing Marco Polo as my fair lady. They always took one thing and combined oh, it with sure, another thing. Yeah. It was supposed to be um, Journey to the Center of the Earth with uh, the man who would be king. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, no, we're going to do Marco Polo with my fair lady. I'm like, great. Okay. <laughs> and I want to do the songwriting thing. Kind of and that's like, like a Tom Lehrer thing to yeah, do. I know. But, you know, it, sometimes it worked for them and sometimes not. But they had everything, you know, Pocahontas and Mulan and Hercules all sort of teeing up at the time. It was sort of, in, it was fun. And I used to listen to the demo tapes of the songs. It was exciting. But then they said, we're going to do this other thing. We don't think there's going to be singing in it, but we think it's going to be the next thing. And um, I read it. I was like, yeah, it is. Wow. Do you have to constantly fight the urge to try to throw a song in something? Or like, just, the Hulk's not going to sing. Like, do you, do you, is it hard not to? No. No. <laughs> Because I don't want the Hulk to sing. <laughs> I love musical theater with a fiery vengeance, but there is a time and a place for everything. <laughs> Good. Well, at least you know that. Well, it drives me a little nuts. There are two questions I could never hear again and be perfectly happy. Why do you kill everyone? Um, I don't. That's God. He kills <laughs> everyone. I kill a few people. Check. He kills literally everyone. Well, the difference is that you kill some fake people. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a difference. Yeah, because people care way more about fake people. Yes, um, exactly. So, obvious. and then the other one is, and are you going to do a musical episode of, or a musical version of, or blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, no. Buffy lent itself to a musical because it's romantically hyperbolic. It absolutely yep. was the right uh, ground for that sort of thing. Not Angel, not Firefly, not Shield, not Avengers. Well, you did do a great people. puppet episode of Angel. Oh, yeah. I didn't say Angel didn't lend itself to puppets. <laughs> but it's just the idea of, of you know, uh, watching watching a show that's not afraid to sort of break traditional form and, oh, this will be a musical episode. This will be an episode where they're in a, you know, like something else weird has happened and there's a sitcom version of it. Or there's a- Well, the trick, the thing, I mean, they did like, they did a sitcom version of uh, 30-something, mm-hmm. but they were doing it very deliberately. Uh, to make a point um, They did a black and white Twilight Zone episode of Felicity I couldn't tell you what the point of that was That felt like a stunt mm-hmm. And um, the one thing I didn't want to do uh, Were stunts We did Hush because I wanted to talk about communication I wanted to make something genuinely scary And the scariest thing is I can't scream So there were two two tracks on that With the body One of the things you know, was There is no music in it um, which partially came from what I was trying to capture and partially came from 
one time when I said to Sarah, that was beautiful, I could hear the music where the music cue comes in, and she's like, yeah, that's not actually what an actor wants to hear. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, you're right. Not only is am I sort of like falling back on that trope, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just leaning on it too heavily, and I should uh, just I should take that crutch away. It's always about taking something away. But it always has to be about the characters. It can't be about my process. Even though Buffy was definitely a seven-year film school that I made everybody sit through, all of my student films, um, <laughs> it uh, it wasn't. It couldn't be about me. It had to be about the experience the the characters and the audience were simultaneously having. Do you ever write yourself into a corner where you have such a strong idea of a character that, and you actually want that character to do something else, and you go, "Shit, I, I can't," because this, char- this this character wouldn't do that. Um. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have a, a memory of like, oh, gee, if only I could blah, blah, blah. Um, unless I'm like, oh, I killed that guy. Um, see, now I'm doing it. But, uh, and then they sing, shut up. Stop it. It's like a nightmare. Um, but uh, uh, not, you know, the, the, the one thing I cannot stand, and I, I'm not even going to say which one, but there was a show I watched like religiously. And the moment I realized the characters were just saying whatever was convenient for you know, the agenda of the show. And I, I shut down completely. I was like, Oh, these aren't real characters. I don't care about them anymore. And I went from can't miss to can't watch in the space of an episode. Oh, wow. And, um, cause you know, you absolutely have to respect that integrity or, um, or you're not building off of anything. And once you see that somebody doesn't, it's just, I'm, I'm gone, baby. Do you have time to be a fan of things anymore? Not as much as I'd like. Um, I, I, mean, I barely have time to read or watch anything. I made a very, very, very stupid decision recently, which was to make a TV show while making a movie. <laughs> um, make, I, I think yeah. just the addendum of that is make an enormous TV show while making an enormous movie. Yes, while marketing another movie, which is not enormous, and therefore I had to uh, market for a very long time. I basically uh, filled my plate when in, I, I should not have. Um, and not that I'm not going to do my best with all of these things, but... Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit pillar to post, a little bit cross-eyed, and I. I uh... Oh yeah, I guess so. Coming so coming out of Avengers, then you go into Much Ado, and then now you're in Avengers Two well, Land and was, Shield I, Land. Yeah, well, actually, I was I did Much Ado while I was doing Avengers, which is sort of the weird flip side of this. As a month after we finished shooting, when we were first editing, is when I shot Much Ado, and that was because it was very soothing. It was a vacation, um, uh, and. Uh, but marketing it took like three times as long as shooting it and was not soothing because it's marketing, it's publicity, it's sure. exhausting. And so what happened was I took Avengers 2 and then instantly S.H.I.E.L.D. happened and I gave up months of my life to that and then I gave up months of my life to Much Ado and now I'm scrambling you know, back on Avengers going, why am I nervous all the time? Why can't I sleep? Why don't I have any free time, friends, hobbies, interests, shows that I like or records that I listen to? Do you feel like you have a choice or when the opportunity is presented, like, no, I got, I got to do that. Of course I have to do I that. I am a workaholic in the sense of that I have workaholism, which I did not understand is actually a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I have to look into that. Um, you know, it was okay when I did not have children. It is not okay when I do. Um, not that they don't get my full attention, but that means, you know, that's a job too. Yeah. I, I have it too. I don't have any kids. But I definitely, it's still not great. What do you think it comes from? I think it might be running. I think it's running from something. Like, oh, running you, from something. Yeah, I thought you yeah. meant like running because uh, that is not a thing I will ever do. No. <laughs> that sounds horrible. You know, man, working's just like running, man. You just get on that treadmill every day and you're not going anywhere. 
No, um, I get on the elliptical, and that's that is the only time I can watch a TV show. <laughs> do you think? What, what do you think it is? What do you think it is? Um, yeah, I'm definitely running from something. I'm sort of a horrible person. I don't like to dwell on that. Um, <laughs> I don't really like stuff, and then I'm going to die. So you know, there's a lot of stuff I could just not get into. So maybe I'll work. I don't know. I um, I feel very. I I I don't like not creating. Yeah. I don't I don't see the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, the, the great thing about having kids is you can actually, you know, you can stack a block on another block and go, this is a worthy thing to do. You can sort of create a new kind of being, a new kind of focus, um, because you're watching them develop and it's a whole, it's an extraordinary thing and it's, and you can lose yourself in that, which is lovely. It's also exhausting because, uh, because of that focus, but every, you know, when I'm not around them, um, what's the point of me? What am I bringing to the party? I mean, I don't really feel like i deserve to exist so i feel like i might just i gotta do something you still feel that way yeah i well it's not like i became a nicer person once i got rich and powerful <laughs> so are you luckily that- power cured me of my corruption as it always does <laughs> time and time what again a, i've been telling you multiple <laughs> examples so you're saying that material things didn't actually fill the hole that you felt before that's interesting uh yeah no. material i'm not i'm not big on i'm not actually that big on things I tried to collect things, and I failed every time. Because I'm like, oh, now I have another one. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> Where am I going to put this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what was it? What was the stuff that you tried to collect? Um, I think the closest thing, I mean, I don't count comic books because I didn't buy them to collect them. I bought them in order to find out what happened next. Yeah. Um, uh, but I did get some, some nice Victorian children's books, which are like a big thing for me. Yeah. But then you're like, they're expensive and children can't touch them. <laughs> and they're children's books. So they make me feel weirdly guilty anyway. Well, creepy ghost children can touch them because they're relevant to their time period and That's their it. ghost fingerprints won't mar up the condition of the books. As they yeah. sing. Hooey. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there, I mean... It is sort of a, a blessing curse thing where you, you make stuff and it's very <laughs> relevant to our community and you must get the, when's more Dr. Horrible? When's this? When that? And you, you know, is there a point where you're like, I'm doing the best I can. Every now and then I get a little, because um, I feel this enormous responsibility to, um, not just to the fans and not even just to the creations, but it's also, you know, Dr. Horrible, that's my family. And it's, you know, it's both of my families, my actual family and, you know, Nathan and Neil and Felicia. And, you know, you just want to like, you want to get back in it. Um, but that wanting to get back in, it doesn't make songs happen in right. your heart or yeah. in your keyboard. And, um, and then suddenly you're like, I'm failing them. I'm failing them. And you, you get so sweaty about it that you forget that you're also failing the people who are actually paying you to do the other thing. <laughs> and you should really concentrate on failing at one thing at a time. <laughs> Don't try to multi-fail. Like just keep it to one. Well, focus it's doable. On... <laughs> Trust me. Well, when you, I mean, you know, I had heard your name thrown around with the Wonder Woman movie before Avengers. Um, and then when Avengers came along, I think everyone was like, because it's, you know, this this idea of bringing multiple characters together on one thing I, I, before hadn't really worked out very well. Usually when they throw a bunch of superheroes into a thing, it's just like, oh, there's that guy. Oh, there's that lady. There's that guy. Oh, what happened to the story? So the idea that they were going to take all these characters and put them in one movie made a lot of people very nervous. I think they were like, how is that not going to be all over the place? And, and when your name came up, everyone was like, oh, fuck, I think he can do it. Did you feel the sense of responsibility in that? Or were you worried that it might not work? Or did you just forge? 
No, I wasn't worried that it wouldn't work. And I think that's probably why I, you know, might have been the guy for the gig. Because I grew up reading The Avengers, where they all were on a team together. And it never occurred to me until much later in life that they did not belong on a team together. That um, any team that has the Hulk and Ant-Man in its first issue um, (laughs) is idiotic. And um, I actually wrote the foreword to the bound version of The Ultimates. And that was sort of the thing that I harped on was this team makes no sense, except that we need them. Yeah, it's the only reason. It's like with, it makes it much harder on some levels because of the X Men. It's like, look, we all have the same problem, we all have the same metaphor, and we all have the same outfits. Um, but with uh, with the Avengers, they are very deliberately different. They don't make sense together. But to me, a that was cool. Like if you can make that work for you, if you can play up the differences, um, and b. Uh, I'd seen them as teammates my whole life, so I didn't have this thing of, and I think this is how a lot of these movies fail. I didn't have to make it work for me. A lot of people who don't love comic books make these movies. Um, And I'm not talking about the ones where you're slavishly recreating, because that's not something I'm interested in doing either. Um, But my sort of understanding of how stories work and my um, visual aesthetic, a lot of it came from books like this, Marvel comics, where they just slap together a bunch of disparate things. And, you know, you're like, I'm so glad that Dr. Strange had that conversation with Howard the Duck, because now I really think I understand Scorpio. (laughs) And, and that's just how we rolled. And so I didn't have to like figure it out and then present it. I just had to present it. I just had to like figure out how to make the audience see what I already saw. Um, So it, uh, it, it didn't feel daunting at all. I mean, the structure of the thing was a nightmare. It's always a nightmare. There is so much to figure out, and you know you're fine tuning it till you know you deliver the wet print. I mean, you absolutely. But that's the gig, that's the work, that's the that's the part they you know, um, they they bring you in for. It's like the moments, the character moments, the stuff, the, the fun stuff is just beyond fun. It's ridiculous. Nobody yeah. should nobody should have that much fun. But uh, but the structure is a nightmare. But that is exactly what I'm hired to to do is to make all of that sort of fit. Yeah. Well, when uh, when Raimi made Spider-Man, it was like, oh, a guy who's a fan of this stuff, who's actually funny, like, he does a really cool thing. But then he spends 10 or 11 or 12 years with these characters and in this world. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, by the third movie, it's just like, huh, I don't know, throw Sandman in there, fuck. Well, I think, you know, I think his heart was with Sandman. And, uh, you know, I, I heard that he'd want to do Sandman and Vulture, which is what I was hoping he would do. And, and the, you know, they brought in... Uh, uh, Venom, 80s character, uh, and he really was sort of the thing that stuck out as not working, um, much like Bane. Um, I feel like, you know, when they stick to the old school, uh, they tend to, to get it right because they're just a little more grounded. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm a very, very old man, and so I like some of the older comics, but there are a lot of the things that in the newer ones that, um, you know, that just didn't sit well with the others. And I don't think Raimi was really, that wasn't really his, what he was, where his heart was. Well, I think just the idea of comic book heroes, we think about when, you know, a lot of the classic characters popped up and evolved, like culturally we were different mm-hmm. and you sort of could have these, they're fighting, it's American ideals and we're all doing. And so I think the idea of a superhero movie now is challenged because our culture is not, our pop culture is just like the landscape's totally different. So how do you fit these characters into this world, which I think now is a little more narcissistic maybe than it was back then? I was obsessed with that with Captain America in the first movie. And I had a ton of stuff that I ended up jettisoning because it was 
basically turning into a Captain America movie, uh, which happened with almost every character at some point. I was like, now it's all this guy, now it's all this girl, now it's all this one. Um, but uh, because, you know, the whole Ernie Pyle kind of story of G.I. Joe, not the guys who fight Cobra, but the World War II one, um, that kind of, you know, what it meant to be a man as a part of a community was so different back then in the 40s and how that sort of got drained out of us. And, and sort of beaten out of us in, in the interim and, you know, world where that valued t- Steve Rogers became a world that valued Tony Stark. And that to me, <laughs> that's really uh, interesting. Yeah, that, of course. Yeah. Of yeah. That course. tension is fascinating to me. Oh my God. Yeah. We really have, like we really have transitioned yeah. just straight across. Yeah. Not at all. Like in the Steve Rogers character, sort of like, look at that dark, you know, in, in a weird sort of way, which is sort of the tone of, and you know, like, I think as much as people go, oh, Captain America's really cool, they do kind of like Tony Stark making fun of him. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, at the same time, you know, I think Cap strikes a chord with people um, because there is, he's that thing we've all, we all sort of, we want, I want a sense of community, but I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I feel like I'm a Tony who wishes he was a Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? I'm more of a Tony. Wouldn't it be great to be a Steve? Just uh, just simple things make you happy. You I'm know, a Dorothy. You're polite. No, we're not talking. No, we're not talking about that. No, we're not talking about that. When you sort of get to a place where, uh, obviously, now there's a much what we were talking about with the Buffy challenge before. Now there's a bigger challenge. Like, okay, now in the second Avengers, now we got to kind of raise the stakes somehow and figure out like what can we do that's different. Did you already have that in mind before you started, or? Uh, or, is, or are you figuring it out? Well, no. Um, the uh, I, I actually the basic plot structure I had before I wrote the first one, but I had no plans to make the second one. I really didn't. And then so for a while there, I was just in my own space. And then you know they came to me and said, "Well, you know, we could make this deal. It would be worth your while to at least think about it." And so I thought about it um, for about forty-five minutes. I was like, "We have to do it." Like I, I had a notebook. I was in a pub in London. I sat down with a pint and just started like, well, what would and what if and oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> flames coming out of my pan. And, and I, you know, I was like, oh my god, I have to do this. Um, so I instantly knew exactly what I wanted to do, and structurally, it really hasn't changed. Um, and the great thing about Marvel, which is not like any studio I've ever worked on, is that a you know they're, it's com- compact. I'm basically mostly dealing with Kevin, Kevin Feige, Feige who's Kevin a fucking Feige. great guy. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. He's a true nerd, and he's a storyteller. And Jeremy Latcham, uh, who is like the best producer I've ever worked with, and he's like twelve. And um, <laughs> uh, and they're both you know storytellers, and that's that's who I answer to. Obviously, there are other people. But in the main, that's that's the gig. And um, uh, so, you know, we just go in and I say, this is the movie I want to make. And they, if, they did, if they didn't agree, they, did, they would tell me. But the first one I said, look, I love superhero movies. This is the dream of a lifetime. I want to make a war movie. Like, they're all too clean for me. I want to, like, if we're going to do this, we've got to put them through their paces. It's yeah. going to be insane at the end of this movie. Because I've got six of Earth's Mightiest Heroes. I've got to bust them up. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't root for them. And they were like, great. And this time I said, here's what I want to do, which I'm not going to tell you. And they said, great. And that's what I'm doing. And we know all the way down the line what movie we're trying to make. And believe me, that is a rare privilege. Are you sure you don't want to tell us? How does number two end? All right. So, yeah, it's amazing. Did you already get through Futurama? Uh, oh, <laughs> man. 
You guys are gonna have to amuse yourselves. Play with, play with toys and dolls. What? Snuggles. <laughs> Something horrible is happening at this table. You smell funny, Jonah. I just kind of went to the gym. That's the longest <laughs> embrace we've ever had over ten years of knowing each other. Uh, I wish I could take it back. Oh, what? It feels yeah, weird. I, wish I could unsee it. So. It felt. <laughs> I don't care what you think. It felt good. How was Futurama? Hey, okay. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. It's such a good show. Um, well, I, if it's okay, because I don't want to keep you too long. No, that's we're good. We're good. This isn't an, This isn't a go away. This is just me getting some snuggles. <laughs> getting some snuggles? That is dang adorable. Um, I, I solicited some questions from uh, Twitter. What? Twitter? It's a social media? Mm. So me. So me. They're calling it now. Um, oh, yeah. No, that's a why did you kill. I'll have to be that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, get good, you get good results on that thing. Carol Blymeyer wants to know, I'd ask him to describe the best breakfast he's ever had. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I'm trying to think if there was one time I was like, nailed it! But I think it was one that I made. It was um, steak and eggs. Fried eggs, slab of steak, cup of tea, orange juice, boom. Weed and crafted? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I didn't, like, you know, I didn't kill the cow, but... She does not like that breakfast. No, I'm, I'm leaving out the hash browns. <laughs> <laughs> Request has been made for hash browns. But, hash brown emission? I, I, I don't need them. Too, Too many carbs. carbs. Too many carbs. Bunch of grease. Don't need it. Megabits wants to know, what does Nathan Fillion smell like? <laughs> Hope. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really does. No. Yeah. Will Wheaton wants to know, okay, seriously, when do I get to work with you? What do I have to do? When is the Wheaton Wheaton uh, summit happening? Um... Really, really soon. Not a problem. No, um, <laughs> it's not awkward at all. Um, no, just listen. I, before I leave here, please stop sending me this. Stop sending me the Scarlet Witch pictures, Will, because they're making me feel weird. <laughs> they're making me a question and be curious. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, this this is another musical question. This was another kill. Oh, here we go. Mary, date, kill, Firefly, Dollhouse, Angel. Is that a question or a list? She actually wrote it. Mary, date, kill. Oh. I wasn't oh. just. I wasn't just. You know what? I I I I've, I've never played this. This is a game. This is a thing, right? Yes. Mary. I thought that this woman's name was Mary Date Kill. Mary Date Kill. Yeah. Um, no one ever goes out with her. No, they do. <laughs> but they bad. don't come back. Um. Okay, so how does it work? I'm sorry. So you pick yeah, who you would, uh, who, which which show you would marry? Uh-huh. That's kind of the rest of your life. Which show you would uh, you know have a fling with? Date, uh-huh. and then which show you if you have you have to do you have to kill one of them? Which show you would uh, take the life of? I can't say that. My <laughs> friends work on those shows. <laughs> I can't do that. Taking I, the high road. I'll be Bluebeard. I'll date, marry, and kill all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Come be on my new show, but don't open this door. <laughs> Never <laughs> look inside. Do. Why must you be obsessed with my forbidden closet of mystery? <laughs> um, what stage are you in right now of of, of Avengers Two? <laughs> <laughs> are you in bartering? <laughs> I think it's not bargaining; it's bartering. There's <laughs> <laughs> a barter. What, what do you want? Oh, look at all the yeah. stuff I got. Come on, what do you want? This rug. I don't think I have to die. Yeah. You can have this rug. Well, I'm the angel of death, and it's unorthodox, but it's a pretty snazzy rug. Hmm. I'll take there it. is that great Twilight Zone where the guy sells death ties. Oh, yeah. Which, which 
He's like he's an old guy. Death comes. Who's a polite young man in a suit, and because you know, it's the Twilight Zone. He's the old guy. It's like Martin guy. Balsam or like one of the old. He, I think I don't think it was one of the famous ones, but yeah, he's and he's like I don't want to die. He's like oh okay sorry that's cool, and then comes back the next night for he's like I'm just gonna come back for the the little girl uh, who lives next door instead, and in a frantic bid to get her past like the midnight hour where where death must must come, he sells death ties. He goes, oh, yeah, and he he's just selling the entire thing, time, right? Yeah. And he's like, and Death is getting all sweaty. He's like, oh, you're right. I probably need that one, too. And he's like doing his great sales pitch, and it's like his best sale ever. And then yeah. at the end of it, Death is like, okay, you ready to go? He's like, yeah. Yeah. Because oh, he, he made the big sale. That, that Rod Serling, uh, that, I mean, so twi- the, the bartering actually is a stage. It actually yeah. is a stage, <laughs> according, according to Rod Serling. You, um, were you a huge, huge Twilight Zone fan? Yeah. Huge. Huge. Um, uh, to serve man made me throw out my dinner because I was so upset, and it was macaroni and cheese, which was my favorite dinner. Oh, oh. very a lot of casualties. <laughs> yeah, it's a cookbook. On but, to, oh, I was, was just saying, July fifth, the uh, Sci-Fi did a, uh, a marathon of the no no oh, no, like, no AMC does the oh, right, okay. the legit marathon. The fifth Sci-Fi does the eighties Twilight Zone marathon. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> It's great in a completely different way. Oh, remember yes. the one where that guy goes back and stops JFK's assassination? <laughs> yeah, and then he, and then he has a half dollar and he like loses it on Air Force One yeah. and then someone picks it up and is like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> Those were, yeah, the 80s remakes. I remember one there was, I think it was Elliot Gould and he like, whenever he went to the cleaners, they would wash out the guilt of the, he would murder people and then this Asian man would be like it all comes out in the wash yeah. and he kept going back and back and clean killing people and they would just clean it out of his shirt well, what's the moral lesson there? I don't know the what's guy the probably died oh, right. just traumatize the daughter and then don't give any moral lesson what's the lesson learned? I don't know it doesn't really matter the point is there are some stains even the cleaner can't get out there we go I think we've all learned and grown. Yeah. Uh, you were asking me what stage I'm at in uh, what Avengers? Yeah, um, I'm doing a second draft, and we're starting to roll into like you know pre-production, getting department heads together and stuff like that. What's your favorite part of the of the process? Yeah, being on the set or the or the, piecing it together. Or the writing. Writing is always the best. Writing is. I mean, there's there's some horrible, difficult parts, but yeah, that's when, you know, I'm at perfect peace. I'm with those people, and we're all talking, and it's hilarious. Um, and uh, I love editing. I like being on set more and more. I think it used to frighten me. How come? I'm, not, I don't, I'm afraid of, I don't want to say people, um, but uh, unknowns. I don't, I don't like not knowing. It's like I didn't, when I was a kid, I didn't play poker. I played bridge. And poker is all about sort of not knowing and, and, and not letting anybody else know. And bridge is just, I got what I got. How do I make it work? And um, it's, there's more math in it and less lying. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I, I, I can't put on a show. I can't manipulate people. I can't, um, you know, I don't like conflict. I, that sort of, you know, if somebody's got bad energy or if they're not bringing it, I'm, uh, you know. I'm, I don't really know how to do that. I do now better than I used to, but um, you know, it's uh, all those variables made me a little, a little nuts. And there's a lot of compromise that goes on in directing. You know, whereas uh, you know, with writing, there is no compromise. You can do whatever you want because it's all perfect because it hasn't been made. And in editing, you got what you got. Yeah. So you're making the most out of it. But um, you know, half of shooting is going. Oh my God, we've elevated this and made it better. And half of it is saying, "Well, bye bye to that great idea." 
Oh. So, you know, that's, uh, and even in pre-production, you're going, well, this would, uh, no, we can't do that. Okay. So, um, yeah, writing is always, it will always be where my heart is. I would like to become a better director. I would like to be a better shooter. I don't want to be remembered as a writer who shot some stuff because I think it's all part of the same thing. It's all part of the storytelling. Um, but, uh, but it, that's where it starts. Do you think people, I don't think people are going to, re- I, I mean, I think at this point you're probably in the clear for that. Yeah, I'm okay, but, um, you know, I see people, you know, who really, really, really know how to shoot, and I just go, well, fine, you know, you're fine, whatever. <laughs> I'm very successful in my own way, but I have <laughs> many children's books. <laughs> you don't have. <laughs> they're Victorian, and they're in mint condition. Yeah. And it's all about a little girl loses a doll, and then she finds it later in life. It's beautiful. A Little Princess is my favorite book. It is. It is. Have you ever thought about trying to adapt? I have, actually. I have, because the two movies have been made out of it, and both were terrible. And um, both strayed very heavily from the material. And you read the book, it, you could just print it and hand it out as a script. It's so it's so crisp, the storytelling. Do you think that could be the next thing someday, like after, after you... Oh, you know, I, I, there's a lot of pop potential next things. I would say um, the only thing I want right now is, A, to make something that's not about a group of people. <laughs> just, I mean, even just like, you know, uh, just sort of wrangling all the press for much ado. Just, I mean, being there with people I love, I was like, okay, my next movie is going to be To Build a Fire, okay? <laughs> just the one guy, and maybe I'll just have, I want to have him, just a dog. Um, I, uh, you know, when I was writing Avengers, I, cause I had done this with Serenity. I'd written this thing where it had already existed in another property, but you have to assume that people haven't seen that. So you have to introduce all these people, but people already sort of know who they are. And so you sort of have to thread that needle and there's dozens of them and you got to make it all work and give everybody their moment and make it all sort of feel seamless and sort of hand the perspective off one to another, to another, to another. And it's, it's really, really Exhausting, and I would, I would literally, I would read something on you know, Deadline Hollywood or something, you know. So when so I was making, you know, pitched a film, it's about a guy, and I'd be like, just one. How <laughs> <laughs> do you do that? Oh, that's, that's I guess that's fine. Well, that must be weird then, if you if you if you don't like conflict and you don't like weird energy, to essentially have to work with actors where sometimes there is weird energy and there is conflict, especially the more successful something becomes. Uh, you know. um... You know that going in. Um, uh, I definitely cast for sanity. That is a huge thing for me. Um, if I can get uh, sane people around me, I, I, I'm a happy person. That's a lot of what Much Ado was. I mean, obviously, they're enormously talented, but they're also people who had the kind of energy where I knew they were going to come to set. They were going to collaborate with everybody. They were going to give their best. They were going to be grateful to be able to like do this Shakespeare work. Um, you know, and they weren't. You know, they weren't going to be like, well, what do I get? Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's not that. And um, uh, you know, but. You know, sometimes you are going to work with people who are volatile or different or whatever. I'm not as afraid of it as I used to be because I know what I'm doing. I feel like I always have, but now I feel like other people do too. Mm-hmm. You know, one question I got a ton on the first Avengers was, how did you get that job? To the point where it's like, okay, could you not say it <laughs> Could like you not that? squint and scowl when you say it? Yeah. What did you do? Did you, did you just throw up in your mouth a little? Because I think that's just not... That, a journalist shouldn't do that. I could have did um, that. No, I don't know. Yeah, I but, um, you know, and, and I will say that ensemble, you know, sort of... They were very trusting. They sort of gave me a lot of respect that I, before I'd earned it, which was great. But, um, 
Uh, but now I feel like, okay, you know, I'm in a position where I can deal with it. I just, you know, I just like to know. It's where you don't know. That's like having an alcoholic parent where you don't know. Is he going to be happy? Is he going to be sad? What's, what's, you know, how do I behave? What's the mood going to be? Um, but, you know, somebody like that, I can understand it and I can, you know, can control it. And I'm not going to let them control what the set is like. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact of the matter is, I love actors. Like, I think I love what they do and I respect it enormously. It's, they're putting themselves out there. Um, on a big screen where they have no control over how it's going to be cut, which take they're going to use, or you know anything about their lives, they they can't really control in that sense. And so, for them to give me that trust and for them to put themselves out there, I'm going to do everything I can to create a set that is about them, mm-hmm. because ultimately they're representing what the story is about. And um, and so you know we we have a great time. I mean, I'm definitely a wannabe. When it comes to acting, and um, and I appreciate it, and if they know that, then I think that a lot of the work gets done. When you're, uh, as we're sort of winding down, what's your what's your trick for when you have to write something and you hit a wall, and you your brain is just in a knot, and it's just like I'm not going to give you anything else. Do you push through it or do you walk away from it? What's your trick? Does that happen to people? Oh, man, come that on. That must be awful. No. <laughs> um, uh, it's just like, I just all of a sudden, I just feel like, all of a sudden, I just feel like Salieri. <laughs> it's like he's taking dictation from the angels. <laughs> um, uh, no. I'm, I, um, I, have, I have many blocks. Um, just recently, in fact. And the worst, or not, because you know, I'm rewriting, which is much harder than writing. Because you've got everything, you said. Well, I'll just keep all of this, but we'll just edge in this one little idea, and then you're like, three days later, you're like, I didn't come up with that one expositional line for the Black Widow. How about the other thirty pages? No, well, I was working on the line. <laughs> and so, you know, just, for me, it's always about you know, yeah, go somewhere else. And if you're smart, which I seldom am, but I'm trying to be more, you've got an absolutely like black and white list all the time of everything you need to do so that you can just go, okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this instead. I'm going to accomplish something. Um, very often I'll just be like, oh, you didn't do so well, but you know, I tried, so... <laughs> and, you know, which is counterproductive and a little lazy. Um, so I'm trying, you know... I When I started writing, I was very, very obsessed with structure to the point where I had graphs, colored graphs of when things were funny and interesting and scary and when, you know, what the audience knew and what the characters knew and like everything sort of mapped out to really make sure that it all worked. And I built every episode of Buffy from pure structure. We never, ever sent off anybody off to script until we knew exactly what was going to happen so that, um, you know, we never had to re-break a story after the first uh, season. And, um, uh, and then after a while, there were a couple of times where I was able to write scripts just like, Bleh. just sort of like, let's see where my brain goes. And then I thought, well, oh, I guess I could just do that now. And, that. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, that's a terrible idea. So I sort of have to like relearn the good habits I had when I started. And, you know, because I have so much to do, just like, you know, put it all out. So when I'm, when I'm blocked, I just got to know, okay, time to zig and know exactly where to zig. Yeah. Are you able to ever relax or, or does it freak your brain out? Um, I'm gonna go with no. No, um, I'm not. I'm not very good at relaxing. Um, see, see, <laughs> sometimes see. Sometimes when I play pirates or bears, I relax. <laughs> but um, uh, do you play pirates and bears? Are you a pirate um, or a bear? No, they don't usually go together. 
I think that was actually, you know, my, my greatest leap as, as a father was, was the first time I ever said, yes, I will play bears with you and then didn't add robots. (laughs) (laughs) Do you put, how does bears work? Um, well, I'm the daddy bear and she's the girl bear and we're usually getting berries. Mm-hmm. That's what bears do. I mean, it makes yeah. sense. Yeah. There's a lot of salmon. <laughs> do you ever any honey? <laughs> you know, we've never done the honey thing. I don't know, we mostly berries Same and way, salmon. It's really addictive to bears. Okay. Yeah. You know, not every bear likes honey. Why you got to paint them in a corner like that, Jonah? That's pretty bear racist. <laughs> Why are you painting them in poo corner like that? Come on, man. Ooh. <laughs> Is it nice to actually be able to play something where you don't have to direct it? Where you're like, hey, we, this oh, is good. No, I... I, I <laughs> we, both are, we both are like, well, no, I think that... If it, no, I, well, I feel my bear... My bear's character would be... Yeah. <laughs> Honey, what's your bear's motivation? Come on, let's really dig uh, deep. Uh, I know yeah. she wants berries, but why? I'm not feeling the salmon. <laughs> um, I'm eating the salmon. I'm not feeling the salmon. <laughs> um... Uh, no, yeah, I, 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 I honestly, I, I, relaxing is a thing that I, um, I did. Oh, recently, yes, I went, um, I went whitewater rafting. Oh, wow. uh, up in, up in near, near uh, Portland with some friends, and I am uh, just covered head to toe in cuts and bruises because we capsized in the rapids. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, that's living in something they call the cheese grater. Um, <laughs> that's a, that's a lovely term. But you know what? I loved it. It was fun. It was very relaxing. It was not relaxing when I came up under the raft and couldn't reach the surface of the water. Yeah. That was not really, because I'm not a good swimmer. Um, so, but there were, but I remember being in the raft, paddle, 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 going, I'm relaxing. I'm relaxing. <laughs> oh my God. I've never felt so alive. You know, you could relax Should on, I tweet a, about this? on a canoe as well. Yeah. Just what? letting you know, you can relax on a canoe. Yeah. Or yeah. a land. Yeah. Well, you don't have to go down rapids, yeah. just get a nice lake. But the rapids are fun. I mean, <laughs> until they're, they're I've always wanted to do that. Horribly yeah. not. But That's yeah. I've always been scared. Yeah, of. I was like, oh, my Ronnie Cox impression. This is yeah. great. <laughs> this is people want to see. But I, I, you know, I did survive. It was really fun. And I, it was relaxing. Canoes are great too. He said, but if I'm in a canoe, then I have to just like just sing the theme from Last of the Mohicans the entire time (laughs) I just can't not did you want to say something well I feel like whitewater whitewater rafting would be a little bit easier to relax because you're focusing on something if I were sitting in a canoe I'd just be like oh my god all the stuff I have to do when I get back you know oh it really takes your brain it takes you it takes you out of your head for a second well I think yeah but even before we got you know before we got hairy this sort of like I let go of some stuff which was nice but it was you know that but I flew all the way up to Seattle and took the train down, and then it was two hours out of Portland. So that's the problem. It's like to get to, it's like writing. To get to the place where you can actually do it, you need so much time. Mm-hmm. It's like when people are like, Do you play golf? I get angry. <laughs> How dare you have time to play golf? <laughs> that, what kind of a monster are you to hit that small ball? Um, but uh, because I, you know, took, I mean, it was, you know, I was, I was I had one week off. It was my last unscheduled week for uh you know till June of 2015 and I I um <laughs> oh my god I uh, you know, I still had to write but I but I you know and so this was my and that was it. That was the one time when I felt completely relaxed was on that river but to get there so I, I just don't know that I have time to to I know you need to. Yeah. But um it's important. They say it's important. Yeah. No, it's a thing. I, I always really... get sick when I take a break cuz it's like the momentum is like you stop and then your body's like, "Oh, I'll give it to him now." Oh, I don't feel good. Yeah, it's no, like... my body was often like, "Yeah, we're done here." <laughs> what, and, what about for stuff with the kids? Like, like you know, say you're on set all day and then you're like, "I have to be out of the set now because the kids have like something I got to go be at." 
Exactly. You know, that's just that's that's problematic too. I mean, you you feel like you leave work early to get home late and fail at everything. But you know, we're just very. I'm just very clear. These are the times when I'm going to need to do this, and then you know, I'm clear with them. This is the times when I'm going to need to do that. And uh, as long as you're very present at both, then you know you can you can make it work. So with being involved with something like Cabin in the Woods, are you like, oh, this is such a cool idea that I have to take a little bit of time to help it in some way, or help it how? I don't know. Your name was on it in some. Oh my God, I was there for every day of shooting. Great. Um, and I thought, ah, oh, the producer, I'm just going to go and wave at him. Yeah. Go, oh, good luck. Well, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. It was just like, oh, oh you know. Expect a gift basket at wrap. <laughs> and, you know, wrap. Meanwhile, I'm frantically shooting second unit and inserts and going to keep us on schedule and sort of cursing the world. Um, but uh, so, no, again, it's the, I can't walk away. So... Um, there is no such thing as a lark because writing it three days, baha, we wrote it and I loved it and we did it and it was came from joy and passion and then, and then you have to make it and then you have to sell it and shelved and much ado. Ah, oh, we shot it in twelve days. Who does that? And then you have to sell it and sell it and sell it. And uh, so, why Shakespeare? Why much ado? Why black and white? Again. So um, <laughs> it's uh, um, you know everything you think is a lark turns into uh, you know. Um, Actual filming. I gotta, th- I gotta think this through. This lark thing. You're answering those questions, or you're just like, well, "Why you? Why anything? Why this?" <laughs> yeah. Eventually. Why are we like, done here? I It'd be a lot easier if you just wrote Victorian children's books. I mean, <laughs> just write it, and there it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Don't think. Don't think. <laughs> I do as, as not on the list. As we're wrapping it up, I I, I would I you I, you have a fascination with King Ralph. Which that <laughs> I don't one of, actually. But I've never one seen of, it. One, you haven't seen it? No. One of my favorite jokes in Buffy is when they lose their memories and they get it back and Xander bursts into tear laughing and he's like, I just remembered King Ralph. Like that I fell off the couch laughing at that joke. Um, and it's on your Twitter profile too. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, I don't know. King Ralph is a pretty funny title. It's a pretty funny yeah. title. Um, Blue collar guy. Yeah, right. and, king. and it's so called king. king Ralph. <laughs> no king would have that name. <laughs> that is a non-royal name. Exactly. Uh, but no, I, would, I, I didn't see it. I think that probably would have cured me of my obsession. <laughs> I don't know. He brings bowling up. to the palace. See, well, they didn't have it before. Mm. Well, we're gonna let you go. This is right at an hour and you have been very cool to let oh, us break into your home and and so interrogate you in this way you went through my stuff which was a little weird no we left yeah. some things too oh okay yeah. you'll find out later you slightly move things just to see if you notice yeah I probably right. won't okay because yeah. <laughs> I do not live in this place any more than I have anywhere I just sort of you know haunt it <laughs> think we switched those Shaw Road in Heartbreak House you ever feel like a weird high class hobo where you're like I don't really have a I'm kind of squatting in the world yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just sort of um, drift around. Yeah, no, I mean, I got these cur- the curtains. Nice. And uh, did not know. Did know. Uh, my wife has a story about um, she, uh, um, my study was just filled with crap. I mean, it was, this was back when we were neighbors. And um, uh, I would literally, like, have to walk this, you know, Byzantine, like, video game path through all the junk to get to my desk to write. Um, and, uh, one, like, weekend when I was gone, um, Kai and our housekeeper, Stella, they went up and cleared out everything. Completely cleaned it. I went upstairs, went to my desk, did not ever <laughs> notice. And Stella asked, what did he say? Kai's like, he didn't notice. And Stella just went, but how? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, no, it's like so. Anyway, I'm going to Avengers, and I don't know. I'm going through this whole thing. How are, I guess you know after 45 minutes, how are you? Well, I'm on fire. Oh, <laughs> I, maybe I, you should have talked first. Then I, I don't know. Sorry. I just had. No, I just I, thought it would be okay. Um, yeah, I'm so. I would. I don't. I just. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to live. Let's not. I'm going to start to cry. It's going to be weird. No, no, don't cry. Oh, who did you just? Knowing that you grew up kind of geeking out about the same stuff, like we used to mm-hmm. shout Python lines back and forth the driveways a couple times. Um, have you ever met any of those guys, or was there anyone that you met where you were like, I can't believe I'm meeting this person? Like, do you still geek out about people inside? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, um, I'm trying to think the last, you know what, the last one for me was when I was at the Saturns and Jonathan Banks was there getting, you know, a Saturn for supporting actor for Breaking Bad or whatever, and I'm just like, wise guy. <laughs> so good and wise guy. Um, when Neil Adams made me sort of mumble mouthed, and I don't even want to talk about meeting Bernadette Peters. Uh, oh, wow. I, could, I sounded Swedish. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> like chef Swedish. <laughs> so bork, bork. Could not, could not uh, form words. Um, yeah, it, 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 it still happens. Um, but uh, um, I've also, you know, we've, we've all had the other experience where it's like, I can't believe I get to meet this person. And five minutes later, back away, avoid eye contact, back yes. away, avoid eye contact. <laughs> did not go so, well. Yes. Then I, they, uh, I moderated the Hobbit panel last year, and it was really cool because uh, everyone on the panel was really awesome, and Ian McKellen was so charming on the panel. He was great, and he had this swagger on the panel. And we went backstage, and we all took pictures, and I was standing right next to him. Uh, I was like, oh my god. I thought at this point I thought we were friends. We're going to be uh, toasting drinks on a yacht somewhere. And I was like, oh my god, and he's a very tall man. Oh, that was so great. It was so great to meet you, and this was really fun. And he didn't even look at me. He just walked in the opposite direction and went, yeah, right. Like it was the most, <laughs> oh, it was the most royal blow up I've ever gotten in my life. That's right. And I got to say, it kind of didn't bother me that much, though. It was like, oh, I don't mind. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've definitely, like, I remember going up to Jerry Orbach, and I grew up listening to him in Credible Rock. Um, as weirdly enough, the angry young man, and um, so you know, he was a huge Broadway presence for me. Um, and you know, uh, my wife and I had met Jesse L. Martin because we were. It was, I guess, when it was nominated for Hush, probably, because um, why else would we be in an Emmy party? And um, <laughs> uh, and Jesse L. Martin, if you meet him, um, you know, uh, he, he you feel like your best friends. Like he's just like, oh my god, you saw that performance? Because I'd see, we'd seen him in Rent three times. And um, uh, and he just makes you feel like your best friend. So I was like, I want to push my luck. I'm going to go say hi to Jerry Orbach. And he was very sweet, but clearly like being sweet. Like putting up with my presence long enough to be sweet. And then I quickly went away and wished that I were dead. And um, <laughs> But then later on I was like, I don't know. He probably, you know, he probably wasn't hateful for him, and I got to say it before he died. And so, so, but I always feel like very awkward about that. When I was fifteen, um, you know, I've always been obsessed with. If I could work with, if there's one person in the entire industry that I would kill to work with, uh, it is and always will be John Williams. And um, uh, and when I was fifteen. 16, I think. Somebody said, oh, well, I work at the, at the Pops. Would you like to meet John Williams? And I said, why, does he want to meet me? <laughs> he said, I, I didn't ever want to be that guy. I never wanted to be the guy who's like, my admiration for you is the only reason you have to talk to me. That seems weird. Right. And, so, uh, and because then, there's never anything you're going to say. Like, right. And you... Like, you're going to say something, and then it's like, you know, with the account, like, oh, we're besties now. I was like, oh, no, I was just a, a sliver of a moment in time that was right. out of his mind by the time he got off stage. Mm. And it just right. never worked out that way. Well, I'd like to be 
I don't, yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Hi. <laughs> Except now people are like... What are you guys doing? You're not oh trying God, to ditch me, right? like, like now you sort of have... The, the power balance is a little yeah, in the opposite I'm direction. Gonna, <laughs> I'm going to blow everybody off. Yeah. You're so mean. Are you talking to me right now? This Comic-Con is going to be different. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I really like your work. You are a stupid whore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Did you hear what he just said to Ian McKellen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, this doesn't feel good on this side, does it? Mm. Right. Quite. Uh, Jazz, thanks, man. It was Thank really a pleasure for, for making time, and, uh, and good luck with the new move with Avengers 2, and, you know, I don't know. If, uh, I, you know, I would stop by once to say hi if you wanted me to. It's not a thing. I would just... If, just I'll see you guys later. Just <laughs> room. You just move in. It's all good. <laughs> It'll be wacky. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thanks. The end? What did you think? I had no... I was like... Are we talking about something? Is there going to be a thing? I hope I didn't just like no, beat just a lot chit of chat. It's just a chit chat. It's a loose conversation about, about whatever. That's sort of yeah. that's sort of what the podcast is. It's cool. It's fun. You guys are funny. Oh, thanks, man. It's good to see you. You too. We'll get out of your house now. We're sorry. <laughs> I was going to tell the story about shots. Right? I was going to tell your story about your cat that I found in the street, but I didn't want to do it in front of your daughter because I felt bad. I didn't want to be like, and then the cat died. Yeah, nobody knows about the dog. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> she wasn't around. I waited until she was out of eyeshadow. I know. But your shot is what you got to worry about. I shot. She was standing right behind me. She couldn't have heard it. <laughs> I can't see her. <laughs> I don't know how sound works. <laughs> I don't know ears. I just, I just do podcasts. We're <laughs> <laughs> a visual medium, right? You think it works the way a dog does, where it's like, you know, if a dog is in trouble, it won't make eye contact with you. Like, oh, if I can't see him, then it's not, then, then I'm invisible. She took a corner, and I figured we were good. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. All right, we'll get out of your house. Right, we'll feed those, those little guys. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by LegalZoom.com. Whatever your legal document needs, LLCs, wills, trusts, trademarks, and more, they've got it. Over 12 years and 2 million Americans have used LegalZoom. Start your business or protect your family today at LegalZoom.com using the offer code NERDIST. Hey listeners, it's Will Arnett. Our podcast, Smartless, has crossed a milestone that seemed unfathomable when we started nearly four years ago as we've just released our 200th episode. Join us as we welcome that dynamic duo of hilarity, Steve Martin and Martin Short. You've seen them on screen together in The Three Amigos, Father of the Bride 1 and 2, and most recently, and Only Murders in the Building. Both are comedic geniuses in their own right, but together they are always electric. And this episode of Smartless is no exception. I don't know if I've laughed more in a single episode than this one. We discuss their career arcs both separately and as a comedy team, how they met, who is more difficult to work with, and what motivates them today. Is Steve a better banjo player than Marty as a singer? Find out on this bicentennial episode of Smartless. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you get to hear Sean cry. What a loser! 